putting Vin Diesel anything into anything is basically like eating something that you shouldn't because it's going to give you diarrhea. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the maybe sober, maybe not Peter. I am just vibing. Vibing, huh? Or is vibing. it vibe in? Vibe in. <laughs> I have vibed in and I am vibing. And if you want to vibe... Well, I was going to introduce our other Vibrate. co-host first. Vibrator. <laughs> I was going to introduce Fred first because Cecil's out this week, so Fred Fritz is sitting in. That is I'm just, true. I'm just getting a buzz from all these vibrator jokes. See, and if you guys want to get a vibrator or anything else, you go to adamandeve.com. You use the promo code DROME, and you'll get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, and a free sex swing. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. But there's also, if you're going to be going to some of the skeevier parts of the internet, you're going to look for some of the movies and stuff we talk about tonight, you need a VPN. It's sort of like a digital condom. To do that, you go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. And that'll bring you to Nord's site. And through NordVPN, they'll encode your data, they'll protect your data, you'll be able to get around region coding and region locking. You'll be able to, using our code, get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.49 a month for digital condom protection, which you kind of need. I mean, there was just that big OnlyFans leak and stuff. You need a VPN, guys, okay? So tonight what I want to <laughs> talk about is... Not 80s nostalgia. It's not going to be us reminiscing about the 80s. I want to look at what what is it about the 80s that is so in in pop culture right now. Because 80s nostalgia in movies and television for the past decade has been insane. Every other movie that comes out seems to be a throwback to the 80s or have flashbacks with the 80s or it's a love letter to the 80s. You got all of these pop culture things with the neon and all. But what is it about the 80s that's so in right now obviously there's going to be a lot of possible angles to that because it's many different people jumping on the bandwagon doing it for many different reasons but i think if we were to go back to the 80s themselves for just a moment look what was popular in the 80s there were lots of movies revisiting the 50s the idyllic nature of the 50s there was a return to noir there was back to the future which you know did the whole comparison between the the 50s and the 80s and that was a 30-year difference guess what we're at about a 30-year difference so it could be just that the ideal the idea of looking back at what's perceived as an idyllic time of course with you know while ignoring the grit and the grime you know sort of like that opening shot of blue velvet you know everything's beautiful on top but there's bugs and things under the soil so it, it could be that kind of thing we're just at that right age those of us who grew up in the 80s are are at that same age that people who grew up in the 50s were in the 80s and so it, it could be something as simple as that and the other angle of course is 
things feel a little darker right now to some people. You know, things are a little oppressive and a little dark, it seems. Uh, so perhaps that, that bright, colorful, poppy, carefree attitude just appeals. Well, I mean, as somebody that didn't necessarily grow up in the 80s, I grew up more in the early 90s, I could still feel the remnants of the 80s. Uh, I grew up with the the first Ninja Turtles film, Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, NES. I had a buddy that had an Atari. I was watching a lot of movies on VHS. Obviously, I saw video stores kind of go. I saw DVDs start to come up. I can sort of see where that magic of the 80s was coming from because it was. It seemed to be a very idealistic time. A lot of people were kind of feeling uh, a sense of positivity, a, a sense of productivity. That there was a, a very, there's like I said, a very, a very idealized sense of where the future was going to go in the '80s. I think a lot of people really liked that, and I kind of get where that nostalgia is coming from because, like, the movies that were coming out in the '80s, I feel like were uh, were all shot on film. They all felt a lot bigger. They all had an, an, a, a certain energy to them a certain sort of music so i i can see why people are, are, are super into that now and, and as fred said like even in the 80s they were nostalgic about the the 50s and, and the 60s so it's it's kind of what's happening now and now you've got filmmakers that grew up in that time that kind of want to bring that energy of a time that they feel nostalgic about so they're they're sort of making more 80s centric films Okay, everything is all cyclical like that. Like, I, I remember all the 50s nostalgia from the 1980s. And then in the 1990s, it was all 70s nostalgia for some reason. I guess we skipped the 60s that, at some point. Th th there's, there's kind of more to that. Especially the, the people who are really, really embracing this 80s throwback stuff in pop culture, ironically, are the people who didn't live in the 80s. I mean, you obviously, nothing is absolute. There's exceptions to every rule but a lot of the people who are making all these 80s throwback films were born in the 90s all these people making these 80s throwback synthwave music they were born in the 90s it's it's strange how i think the people who weren't there have a weird nostalgia for a decade they didn't live in and we are all like that we all love 70s movies i mean fred and i were alive in the 70s but we were kids so i mean we love the 70s we all love 50s movies so this isn't some oh you whippersnappers get off my lawn thing it's i just find it ironic that most of the people making all of this 80s throwback product are people who were never alive in the 80s. It's a it's a fair uh, statement, everything you said. Uh, the only thing I would disagree with, by the way, is I hated the 70s as a kid. <laughs> I really do need to point that out, and maybe there's something to play in this. The 70s was, now I'm not talking about all movies. There's great movies in the 70s. I'm not talking about that. Uh, we had Friedkin, we had Dirty Harry, yep. we had Star Wars. I mean, it, it yeah. was... Cinematic Jaws. Uh, people underplay how big films like Exorcist and Jaws really were. Everybody said the yeah, Star the Wars, 70s, Star Wars. Uh, the seventies were basically like a catalyst for the eighties, oh, pretty much. It was, it was the birthplace of the blockbuster. That wasn't yeah. the eighties. It was the seventies. The seventies aesthetic sucked. Let's all be <laughs> honest. Those were the ugliest colors to have ever not existed in human history. Everything was mustard and brown. It was ugly. The the shoes were ugly. It's like they got inspired by the Dutch. Those bell-bottom 
ugly swooping pants where it's no wonder people were doing so much coke in the 80s because they probably fell on their head in the 70s so much from those damn pants they're trying to um, get uh they're trying to forget the 70s oh it was horrible and so the only the only thing i remember really loving the 70s and i'll i'll be made fun of and i'm okay with it was roller skating it was the only good thing to come out of the 70s and i did miss that <laughs> later 70s was a weird, undeveloped, funky time. And I sort of look at the 70s and the 90s in a very similar way. You have kind of a grimy ugliness in the 90s, but you have this mass explosion of so much talent in the 90s. You you had musical talents popping up that nobody had ever heard of. If you remember, the stand-up comedy thing completely changed in the 90s, and a whole new generation of comics came out. But there was an underbelly that just was kind of grimy and depressing and ugly. The 70s was very much like that. So I sort of feel like the 80s sort of stands out it sort of pops out it looks weird and different when you juxtapose it to these two decades yeah because it, they were so weird uh, the 80s is just strange the malls the the love of neon everything and day glow george michael you know wake me up before you go. oh gosh yeah. hair bands oh hair bands punk rock metal like all this stuff new there, wave there's there's a great thing right there. You just hit it. 80s was the most wonderful catch-all of genre, of film. There was so many styles, and I don't want to go off because we're now hitting ages nostalgia, but I'm making a point that there was so much that happened in that short decade, just 10 years, that defined so much that I think we also look back and we're amazed because you can't think of any other decade where so much just popped out of it. Yeah, it's weird when you think about it because if you look at the 70s, like they were kind of a trail off of the 60s. Like it was mm-hmm. kind of, it was sort of 20 years of that style. Whereas the 80s, that was only 10 years that that all happened in. You know, the big blowout hair with the hair bands, the, the neon look of the films, synth pop, the malls, as you described. There was such a style to that era a a brand new music style with like like heavy metal pretty much made its ground and formed uh what it was at that time obviously starting with black sabbath but you can't deny how different something like thrash metal is to the way it sounded in the 70s where it was more kind of kind of groovy there was such a unique style of that era and you can totally see why it's it's hit this like nostalgia peak that it has right now Isn't it sort of a crass, hollow nostalgia? Because like I pointed out, a lot of the people didn't live there, didn't live in that time. And that's not an issue in and of itself. It's sort of looking back fondly at something that wasn't so fondly thought of at its at the time. Fred, I'm sure you'll remember this, how, you know, Miami Vice was giant in the 80s. I mean, it was all in the 80s, but you remember how big Miami Vice was for a while. And then you had all of these movies and TV shows that tried to emulate it. And you remember by the 90s, anything that had neon or the popping colors or that very kind of swatchy sort of look was, oh God, this looks like a Miami Vice episode. And that was a negative. And then you get into (laughs) today and it's like, oh my God, it looks like a Miami Vice episode which is sort of what i consider a hollow nostalgia 
It's like these things weren't thought of positively then. Look at how many movies totally bombed in the 80s and then were rediscovered in the 90s. And that's not a bad thing because a lot of great movies became cult movies. Thing, like Carpenter's thing. The Thing, Buckaroo Banzai, stuff like that. But now you have these, you have this sort of nostalgic look that oh god this is so 80s it's so cute it's so kitschy and i think that's hollow i think that's crass and i think that's insulting well you're you're actually not wrong uh uh, something i want to address and i I don't want this to be misunderstood as me saying i don't like this but synth pop that's popular right now is a great example of this people don't realize that that wasn't as big in the 80s as everyone seems to think it was no Uh, that type of music was more in like the lower budget kind of z-grade movie low budget well first of all we have to go back to the 70s really to where it started you had guys like jerry goldsmith was really like one of the first guys to start playing around with this the italians were starting to utilize it a lot. Then you had, of mm-hmm. course, like Tangerine Dream, and I always forget the name of Kraftwerk and all that. But yeah, Pitar hit it. It was more low budget, and it only got played around with a little bit on the bigger budget movies. The score was still the granddaddy in the 1980s. Oh, yeah. We, Those the big score, sweeping scores by, uh, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, obviously, uh, who Basil mentioned. Kind of, yes. Oh, my oh. God. Just gorgeous. Like uh, like with Conan and with Robocop and, and stuff like that. Obviously, John Williams was huge at that time. Oh, of course. He was king. He was he was king of the 80s. And yeah, the synth pop thing had a it was it was there. And it, yes, it was popular. Jan Hammer, Herbie Hancock, like I said, Tangerine Dream. These people and groups, they all had their their moment in the sun. They all shined, but not as brightly as today. I'd say they're revered more today than they were in the 80s. So I think you're right when you say, well, you say hollow. I'd almost call it like, you know, sort of like stucco. You know, it's like an aesthetic on the outside. It, it, it's not the true heart. If you look at something like Turbo Kid, which is, you know, dripping with that 80s feel to it, it really, it really only sort of touches upon things that were either popular for a moment or not that popular like there was a lot of post-apocalypse movies well for if instance Turbo kid were to come out in the 80s it would have been an enzo castellari mad max <laughs> knockoff with a cheap casio synthy soundtrack it would not have been a theatrical film exactly it, it would have been like the end career of hal needham you yes know? it, it, it would have <laughs> been uh, yeah, it would have. And it's funny to think of that they're glamorizing this very, you, you talked about the thing in Buck Rubanzai, both flops. They were both flops. Yet when you watch Stranger Things, it's those type of things that they're lifting up, that they're they're holding on this weird high pedestal. And it's like, yeah, the thing is awesome. Don't Hey, that was an incredible movie. And it was so it underrated. Was very, very much underappreciated in its time. And I'm so I'm glad that it's finally really? gotten that appreciation. But well, nobody I, liked it at that time. How ironic that it was E.T. that many consider what killed the thing, yet Stranger Things is a hybrid of E.T. and the thing and stuff like it. They're really just sort of looking at the commercial aspect of the 80s. In fact, that's kind of it, isn't it? They're sort of glamorizing the commercial 
aspect of the 80s, not it's, necessarily it's very, the integrity of the 80s. It's very plastic. It's very artificial because a lot of times I'm going to bring up a bunch of movies and TV shows and, and I think sometimes they use the 80s accurately. They use like, okay, it totally makes sense. This movie takes place in the 80s. But then you mm. have things like Everybody Wants Some or The Wedding Singer or Hot Tub Time Machine or Wet Hot American Summer. I, I, or, liked, I liked Wedding Singer. <laughs> but, but all they are is, hey, look at that reference. Look at we're referencing something from the 80s. Like everybody loves that show, like The Goldbergs. That's, uh, that's, that's what Stranger Things is doing. I really, detest Stranger Things. I liked season one, anything after that, but but like I like, like you've got the, you got that show The Goldbergs that is super popular. Everyone loves it. I have so many people, I have friends that are like, oh my god, th- they referenced this. They referenced it. Oh my god, Clancy Brown's on an episode where they're referencing Highlander. All the Goldbergs is is reference, 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 reference. Do you have anything besides, hey, look at all these 80s things we're constantly referencing? Is that yeah, all you have to cheap. do to be a a hit show now is reference things completely cheap you know american horror story that they had that 1984 season that was almost a hate to the 80s is at the same time going oh my god we love the 80s we love the 80s it's like but you clearly don't because what's on the screen is not love for the 80s it's contempt for the 80s apparently well to that's be fair, how i feel with movies like biggest hate in my opinion i can't even understand why so many people love this movie and feel rejoice in it is the film Manborg. I hated that, but I would say actually a bigger insult was Ready Player One. Oh, that was awful. Good Lord, was that fucking Ready Player One was movie reference the movie. If you love all these things so much, why don't you just go back and watch like this stuff? So what? Oh, a spawn shows up. Big fucking deal. Go watch, go read the comic or watch the HBO show. I, I really want to be fair to one concept here before we go too far off on a tangent. Because I, again, no, nobody said anything I disagree with. The reason reference is because that's all you can do at yeah. the end of the day. We're not in the 80s. Okay. So I, I want to just put this in its right context a little bit that all you can do now, if you're talking about the 80s, is reference the 80s. I think, and I do not, agree with not that. Necessarily. The, the, I think. Well, if, let me think. Because there's one thing about that. Hang on. I just want to bring up the Goldbergs as a great example. Okay. Because he's absolutely correct. What the show became especially is that, because you mentioned the Highlander one. I saw that. It's a terrible episode. All it depends on is reference, reference, reference. You look at that first season of the Goldbergs. It actually was funny because they were writing a comedy. And they used the 80s as just, you know, the springboard for the comedy. But everybody, oh, I love the reference. I love the ref. And then b- from that point on, guess what we got? It's nothing but reference. And I think therein lies the difference between the two. There's the concept of approach and appeal. And appeal tends to be like what I call the Urkel effect, especially on TV shows. You you look at that first season of Family Matters, it's just a sitcom that had this character Urkel. You look at later seasons, it's the Urkel show. Because they sure love that Urkel. Whatever that guy's name is from Big Bang Theory that everybody freaking loved all the time. Sheldon. Oh, Sheldon. God. Same thing. It's the same process where you just see, you said yourself, you liked that first season of Stranger <laughs> Things. I did too. It wasn't bad. It was, a. it was, the approach was there. Then you look at season two. It's just, remember this, remember this, remember that. It was lost. They, they, they lose it. They go from the approach and they only focus 
on the appeal. I just wanted to kind of differentiate those two. There are other things where you, you say, okay, I totally see why you did this. You'd say, okay, it makes sense that there, you know, parts of them are set in the 80s because that's when the source material was from. Watchmen use the nihilism and the excess of the 80s properly. Very well. Really, because, really well. Because, like, what people also don't remember about all the day-glow colors and the funny hair and the and the fly, flock of seagulls and all this stuff <laughs> was there was the ever-present specter of atomic an- annihilation from Russia. There was the and Cold the War going on. There was there was AIDS rising up. There was there were still race riots. There were the, the women's lib thing was still not. I mean, there still wasn't women's lib in some states. And so you have like Watchmen taps into that xenophobia, that paranoia of the 80s. Like a movie like Miracle Mile wouldn't have worked in the 70s. And it wouldn't no. have worked in the 90s, no. and it wouldn't work today. I mean, even if you changed Miracle Mile to North Korea or something today, it wouldn't work. But good God, does that work in the 80s when it came Absolutely. out? Especially because, Peter, you were too young. Fred, I'm sure you remember how oppressive some of that... When you'd watch the news, it was like, we really could get nuked tomorrow. I remember, actually, when an airliner was shot down in Russian airspace... The paranoia, now keep in mind, I was in elementary school at this time. The paranoia that that week was going to be the last week on Earth. Like, I remember that. They were talking about, like, a potential war because the the skirmish in Europe was, because I think it was like a North Korean airliner or something. I can't remember, South Korean airliner. I can't remember where the airliner was from. The rise in tensions in Europe was beginning to, of course, affect America because if the war broke out between Russia and any of those other superpowers, we were invested no matter what. We were in, you know, it was going to happen irregardless. And people were scared. I mean, genuinely scared at school. You could feel the tension. The teachers were nervous because they knew, you know, what this could. This could be another. Um, oh, no. With Castro, when we had the missile crisis, the Cuban missile crisis, it was it was kind of edging to that kind of. Are we about to go to war on a global scale? It was it was really that kind of feeling. So, yeah, I remember. And I'm AIDS. AIDS was huge. People forget about how big of a scare AIDS really was in the 80s. Yeah. It, it, it was co- – and then we had the outbreak, of course, with the cocaine that was coming in, and it was different than pot or marijuana before it because you injected with needles a lot of these people, and needles was how AIDS was being spread. So you had the cocaine and the AIDS together. People don't seem to, rem- they only remember the good 80s, because you don't have a lot of nostalgia exploitation for the dark 80s. I mean, they had it then, American Psycho. Is Scarface. Back at that. Scarface, yeah, it, it's always been prevalent, but I'll agree that it, it's not something as discussed or talked about. I feel like the only time I've seen that kind of be a little bit nostalgic with recent stuff is a little bit with the True Detective show, because that show kind of felt sort of early Michael Mann-esque. Joker. The Joker movie, there's literally no reason to set it in the 80s. I think it's like 1981, other than, well, the 80s are in now. That So let's make a Joker movie set in the 80s. Why? I thought it Why worked. not? I, I, I thought it worked uh, very, very much to its favor. I thought that movie's that. a giant steaming pile of shit. Eh, and, you're wrong about that. But, I want to okay. fight anyone who <laughs> tries to say it has merit. 
Joker was good. Why do you got to crap on Joker so much? It was because an honest effort of a film. I thought it looked great. They it, shot it, it, it in was the a, actual It was a Bronx. garbage film, but we're not talking Joker yeah, in and of itself. Whatever. I'm talking well, about mean, the fact that it didn't need to be set in the 80s. A set in the 80s nostalgia kind of movie. Because that's all it was. It was, hey, look, 80s. The same way... Now, I... I, the next example I'm going to give, I get why they did it, but I also think they did it for the, hey, the 80s are in right now kind of thing. And that, uh, would, and that would be it. Because, I don't know. Uh, because okay, you've, you've got to, you know, in the original, it was the 50s to the 80s when the, you know, the adults were in the 80s and the children's stuff was in the 50s. So you're right. updating that now to have the adults in contemporary times. So you got to, you know, set it in the 80s to have the right time frame. I get mm. that. You tell me It Chapter One wasn't really kind of playing on that Stranger Things. Hey, look, oh, it's the it 80s was. and it's kids on bikes and kids on the wrong bikes, too. Like kids in, at that point, even in the '90s, did not have those like those like vintage '50s looking bikes. They were all on like BMXs. I remember that time. Nobody had bikes like that. I really want to address what you've said about Joker real quick. That you were talking about the '80s nostalgia, and I think the only reason that's set at when it's set is not so much nostalgia, but the movie is aping off of two films very specific that we know about. One is Taxi Driver, yes, and the other is The King of Comedy. Taxi Driver was late '70s, obviously. If you know, that was the thing about the early '80s. There was a lot of that '70s bleed over, like what it was we yeah. talked about in the '90s and the '80s. Exactly. Same thing. There was a lot of bleed over from the 70s into the early 80s so you had that taxi driver king of comedy i think they were more or less playing to that yes. than anything because you're not going to have a guy like murray in today's society jimmy kimmel ain't going to cut it you're going to need more of that because he wasn't even johnny carson he was more like a what was that other guy jack parr i think was the guy before them it, they wanted that lounge lizard kind of talk show yes guy and they still existed in the late 70s early 80s that's the only right. reason i think it's set there i don't think it's nostalgia i think it's because it can't exist in and another plus kind of it, it's it plays also loosely into the dark knight returns which if you remember the joker went on to david letterman yes in the comic book and so again you and kills him kills him like on uh, on live tv yeah he kills him on live tv and the audience it's a reference to that period and beyond the 80s that didn't exist it wasn't in the 90s it wasn't in the early 2000s it it doesn't work so that's why i think it's set firmly there i don't think it's for any other reason than that personally i, I think yeah. it was the crass consumerism of because the, the 80s are in right now think in this particular case it, hey maybe that's why it got made because of what you're saying that's quite possible things get greenlit yeah. all the time because they're at the right time right place i'm saying i don't think that's why the story is set there i don't think it no. works anywhere else in another time period yeah i i think joker was gonna be that way regardless just because that's yes. kind of where that idea was was set like it's it all had to do with the the narrative of the actual story and i, I never got any any sense of like trying to force nostalgia and it, it's a very bleak movie it doesn't it doesn't glamorize anything it, it, if anything it feels yeah. like it felt like watching like taxi driver or like death wish it or felt something. like watching like, a bad very... clone because todd phillips is not martin scorsese you but just don't like todd phillips i can't stand todd phillips the, well, the, the man go. is a, the man is Gotten as a huge like, piece of garbage. But the movie, I gotta point out, doesn't glamorize the 80s in any way. In fact, the music he listens to is from, as I recall, like the late 60s. It's yes. like 
crooner kind of music, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin type songs. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I just disagree with that. And, and real quick, the the it I do think was just because Stranger Things was a hot thing for crying out oh, loud. Absolutely, that's that's all. Agree with that. That's it. That's that's why I think that is. So I don't think there's really much to even, for me at least to add onto that. It's just they're cashing in. Then you also you have these these things. I brought this up right at the beginning of the show. You have all of these like Kung Furies and Moonbeam City, and you have all these. 80s throwbacks that are all neon and purple and they're super excessive and there's tons of swear and it's like these are made by people who were not alive in the 80s because go back and watch most 80s movies they aren't full of neon oh sure miami vice episode might and now there were certain ones that were but a lot of them were more if anything 80s movies looked more the way that um american psycho did google 80s graphics or 80s art and And you're going to you're going to get a a grid with neon and purple i don't know how we got to the point where that is the defining symbol of 80s pop culture i don't get it everybody thinks there's so many people that think the 80s were canon films that that the 80s were these like low budget Mm -hmm. z-grade budget films no these were not the biggest films of the 80s. These these were the video store films of the 80s. And Canon, yeah. uh, most of Canon movies bombed. That's why they went out of business. Well, yeah. Well, Patars <laughs> well, raised a great point because, and this goes also back to this idea. Well, let, let's not go back. There's a common thought about that what people remember about the past is generally the negatives tend to rise up higher than the positives. That's why news stations only give you bad news. They don't, you know, say, oh, a puppy was rescued today. You know, it's it's about who was murdered and killed and all this. Look mm-hmm. what I even did about the 70s. I brought up bell bottoms. Like, if you ask anybody, 1970s, they're going to talk about roller rinks, bell bottoms, and bad hair. That's going to be the first things that pop out. So if you talk about the 80s, generally speaking, if you said musically, Tiffany and the Mall is probably going to come up more because that was such a low point in our music and video standards. You know, you've got a singer singing in malls, you know, and, and the songs were Yeah, the, good. the stuff that and, people remember about the 80s, like when I hear people talk about, oh, I wish I lived in the 80s. I'd be listening to, to synth pop and heavy metal all the time. No, you'd be listening to fucking Robert Palmer. No, the, the in fact, the headbangers were considered, for all intents and purposes in media, the, lo- the lower class citizens. Yeah, they, the they were like the, the freaks of that time. <laughs> yeah, they were not I was one, I was one of those i had the long hair and the and the the studded wrist bracelets and all the posters and everything i was yeah. one of those headbangers that was uh that was a niche thing at that oh, time yeah. like everybody talks about oh i want to live in the 80s so i could watch canon films all the time and go to all these concerts and it's like the shit you're hearing on the radio right now which is like the top 40s music that are playing like Hit me with your best shot by Pat Benatar and a bunch of Robert Palmer songs and stuff. Yeah. That was the 80s. That yeah, you, was you the 80s. To, you it had was... to go out of your way to get a Dead Kennedys cassette. Right. Yes. Walmart yes. was not carrying the Dead Kennedys or Iron Maiden or the Sex Pistols. You had to go out of your way for that kind of thing. But everyone thinks of the Dead Kennedys. Oh, you know, that, that they were huge in the 80s. They were huge in the underground. Well, they, they, were, they hear a they song. Were, like <laughs> Repo Man, and they think that was what it was, and it wasn't. <laughs> that that film, if anything, is a great commentary of what it really was like. If you had that sort of personality that those characters did, you you would have been an outcast. 
you you weren't normal to be into that sort of thing or to have the, those sorts of ideologies or to listen to that sort of music. You would have been an outcast at that time. Being yeah. punk, being punk or a metalhead or any of that stuff, that that didn't make you popular back then. Being being a yuppie was popular back then. That's what was in. That was the thing. I, I used to be told when I had long, I had long hair in high school and, you know, I'm 15, I'm 16, I'm looking for, you know, a, a job at that point. Every right. place, got to cut your hair. You know, you can't have long, you're a, you're a guy. You can't have long hair. No, everyone's got purple hair, 15 nose studs. Their tattoos. lips are, th- tons of tattoos. Their lips are plated like an African jungle member <laughs> in an old 50s movie. <laughs> and, and, and that's my waitress, you know? Well, I could tell you this from another angle because I didn't punk out, although I did have a tendency to wear a, a single fingerless glove and a long jacket a lot. I, I just can't imagine you with hair. I, every, all, ever since I've known you, you've had the shaved head. I can't imagine with uh, you with hair. Yeah, I, I, well, that's because I had horrible hair, man. I always had bad hair. I, I, my brother freaked out when he lost his hair. I was glad. My hair sucked. The other end of this was like, you know, how everybody today is really up on pop culture. I mean, that's why Radiodrome exists. It's, you know, these pop culture, YouTube programs, podcasts, a lot of young generation. They know a lot of pop culture, even if they didn't see the movies. They they've heard these names and they've heard these titles. When I was growing up, that was not a glorified trait. Let me tell you, you were considered a geek and a dork talking about movies all the time. You were looked down upon. And this was in the 90s and the early 2000s, too. It took a while. It took a while for being a geek and a nerd and a dweeb and all this stuff to actually become an endearing trait. It used to be, if you're into, like, movies, if you admit that you read comics or collect action figures, you'd get beat up. Because the cool thing was, again, being a jock or a yuppie. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, that's a generalization, but it's true. It's a true generalization. But you also have part of this whole wave of 80s nostalgia sequels to movies or TV shows that one, don't need them, but two... (laughs) are 30 to 35 years too late. Like, I, I don't want to get into all the minutia of why Blade Runner 2049 was a piece of crap, but the fact that it was made was due to the 80s nostalgia for the original. The original movie doesn't need a sequel, and you remember, the original movie bombed twice. It bombed when it came out, and it bombed again when it came out in 93 on home video. Blade Runner was not some fondly remembered classic until modern days. Blade Runner 2049 only exists because of the 80s one. The Robocop remake only exists because the 80s one. Like the Thundercats and He-Man's cartoons from the early 2000s. Those only exist because people were watching the reruns of the 80s one. You have this weird aspect. uh, To give credit, though, that He-Man cartoon at least the early 2000s one was actually good i couldn't stand it but i thought it was very well done i thought the animation was great and they and they made he-man look like dolph lundgren it it had definitely a lot of loving touches and again they were inspired to uh, to make he-man look like the masses of the universe uh live action dolph lundgren one which i thought was a very cool touch so i will give that one credit but then you also have these these other movies that that are new that aren't based in the 80s. They aren't based plugging 80s nostalgia, but they're made by people like us who grew up in the 80s, who grew up in a video store, who grew up reading Psychotronic Video Guide. You have like movies like like The Void 
and Synchronicity, Turbo Kid, and VFW, and Drive. That These are movies made by people who loved the 80s. And, okay, for Drive, Nicholas Winning Refn, very much 80s style. But you look at something like The Void or Synchronicity, and you say to yourself... I could totally have seen this movie being made in the 80s and in not in a ha-ha-ha ironic way. Yeah, it would have just uh, come out probably direct to video, but it would have come out. Same thing with uh, same thing with Drive. Like, I feel like that would have been like a Michael Mann movie. If anything, it's, it's actually very close to Thief. And same thing with, well, VFW, I think. I was going to bring up, v- okay, VFW is not an 80s movie. That would have been a canon film. I think that, like, straight up would have been a canon film. Well, because VFW, I loved. And now the soundtrack, very 80s. Lighting very style, 80s, very uh, 80s. 80s low budget. It was 80s low budget. Like like a right. smaller 80s film, for Except sure. the film isn't an 80s exploitation because, first of all, we don't know, we never, we're never told exactly when VFW takes place, but they still use VHS tapes are common and yeah. the movie poster on the abandoned movie theater is from brain scan which is 1992 all of the veterans I think it may have been it may have been mid 90s because the, it, the it, younger it, it soldier it, it couldn't be because all the veterans talk about nam and they're all way too old to have been in vietnam if this is in the 1990s so so it may have been early early 2000s maybe you know what it could have even been a recent time because that like that younger soldier was from uh, Afghanistan. So it's, yeah, VFW, I loved it. I'm just not sure when it takes, but that actually might be what it's Joe Bagos was like, going uh, for. It's sort of that inexplicable RoboCop future. Like you're not really sure when it takes place, but you know it's kind of a dark, grimy future. Right, like like, like Max Headroom. The yes. Max Headroom show, they never technically told you when it takes place, although if you do the math, it took place in 2017. Well, in one episode, we see Edison Carter's driver's license, which has his birth date. And then in another episode, they mention how actually old he is. So you do the math. Max Headroom takes place in 2017. Something like Max Headroom is extremely 80s. At the same time, oddly timeless. You go back and watch those Max Headroom episodes today. They, I don't know how many times we've talked about it on the show. They were so far ahead of the curve in in the terms of stories and themes and the the things they were talking about it's just oh, they were great it's got like really, an 80s really aesthetic stuff to it. you know how escape from new york is 1997 as envisioned by the 80s it's a very 80s look at the 90s i also think max headroom is sort of the same way it's an, a very 80s look at the future but it was so dead on possible to have something so rooted in when it's from and also so timeless that while it does technically age doesn't age because like max headroom (laughs) it's very 80s you know oh yeah just saying max headroom brings up images of the 80s but at the same time it doesn't seem like it's stuck in the 80s if does that make sense yeah yeah well i think this ties a little bit to that whole approach versus appeal if I may, that if you if you go for the aesthetic of the 80s, that's the appeal. That's all oh, I'm going to put the synth wave. I'm going to put old pop songs from that era in it. And that's all there is. But if you look at Max Headroom or even Escape from New York, as you were talking about, or or other films, they they capture another film, maybe to, to address this that came later is a film like Gattaca. These films are about the human condition. And they're about the idea of people. They're not necessarily about just 
the 80s. Wall Street was representative of Wall Street in the 80s, but thematically it represents humanity throughout all of time. Pursuit of greed, the the pursuit of just possessions. And when you look at the concept of treating people wrong, it's wrong whatever decade you're in. If you're treating people wrong, it's wrong. I actually just saw an interview with a writer about a Star Trek episode, which I thought was interesting. It was Measure of a Man, the episode where they try to prove if Data was a person, you know, like an entity, yeah, because that or plays just a toaster. Into, that plays into all the Picard crap that's happening right now. Well, that's exactly why this interview happened. But I'm talking about the actual episode, not the garbage that's now. And how the episode was inspired by the slavery trials. And the idea that a slave was property. To us today, that's insanity. I mean, I hope. I hope that's insanity. Court trial that actually happened. And she was inspired to look at Data in the same way. Well, Data's a toaster. Well, is he a toaster or could he be considered an independent being? And so the concept, the approach to it deals with us again. It's about us. And that's what ultimately it's about. So any story that looks at people and the actions of people, both good and bad, those are always going to be timeless because people are always going to be the same. They're always going to be a bit selfish. There's always going to be those, though, that can rise above it and be decent. You're always going to have these stories because you're always going to have people. And that's what I think you're talking about is it's like Max Hedrum. Oh, my gosh, that's about as 80s as you get, man thematically it addressed all these concepts of just corporate greed, individual greed, or other things, not just greed, just the concepts of selfishness in action. I mean, a murder, generally speaking, is is an act of selfishness unto itself. When someone kills someone, it's for a reason for their own selfish gain and or need or desire. These themes are always going to keep coming back in stories, which is why if you go back in time, you'll find books that are written with these same themes, only only, you know, they didn't have cell phones and iPods. Also with something like Max Headroom, it was a commentary on the very culture that it was a part of. And that's one of the other reasons I think it was such a brilliant show. It was a commentary on pop culture, all the while being pop culture. And that's what now we would call meta. Essentially, it's sort of like saying if you approach every story with common basic sense, if there's talent behind the camera in front of it, you're going to have a good product. And that's what it quite often comes down to is just that approach. Who's in front of the camera? Who's behind it? What is the the thought process behind the creation of the script? And did you even care that there was a script? I, I mentioned it before, but I'll say it again. I was really surprised when the announcement for the new Ghostbuster, not the one that's about to come out, the 2016 one, and it said a new Ghostbusters film has just been greenlit and it's going to be an all-females Ghostbuster script yet to be written. You, you did that would that would be the first place I'd start. You know, it, well that even goes back to the seventies. Is that famous Tom Snyder interview where he's got DeForest Kelly and the Star Trek cast and Harlan Ellison on there? DeForest Kelly says they have a start date for shooting Star Trek the Motion Picture, but they don't have a script yet. Have a script yet? Yeah, yeah. So See, th- that isn't new. But you you also have something with like th- this 
in a way with like something like Blade Runner 2049, RoboCop, etc., there's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of mentality. NBC has said, yes, we are bringing Miami Vice back. It will be a continuation. Don't know if Crockett and Tubbs will be in it, but it's going to be set in the same continuity. We're making a new Miami Vice. Vin Diesel's going to be the, the producer on it. Don't know if he's going to star. It's you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. If you make it stylistically like the old Miami Vice, you're going to be called nothing more than a nostalgia exploitation cash-in. If you make it completely stylistically different like the terrible Miami Vice movie, where it doesn't look or sound or feel like Miami Vice at all, you're going to be... Which, pillaged. hilariously enough, was directed by Michael Mann. I know, I'll never forgive him for doing that. But, it, but if you do that, then you're just going to be, well, why are you even calling this Miami Vice when it doesn't feel like Miami Vice? This Miami Vice reboot is doomed from the start. No matter what they do, they're already done. They've already lost, I think. Something like Miami Vice is so rooted in the 80s, both in its production and in pop culture. You cannot do Miami Vice again. I think the Michael Mann movie proved that. I think he, I think the reason he did that was he wanted to prove we don't have to go with the garish colors and the over the top production and we can make it gritty and good God did it not work. This Vin Diesel Miami Vice will not work whether they go 80s retro or they go modern. It's gonna fail. Some, there are certain things like if they brought Max Headroom back today, it could not work. I do not think Max Headroom could work at all. And I think there is a damned if you do, damned if you don't mentality in some of this 80s nostalgia. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think um, if the, the Michael, Michael Mann's own reboot of it, if, if that was as bad as it was, putting, putting Vin Diesel anything, into anything is basically like eating something that you shouldn't because it's going to give you diarrhea. Yeah, the, it's, it's the classic thing about like when you do a remake of any kind, that's always been the issue that you're either doing the same thing or if you try to make it different than the original uh, and a sequel, by the way, this applies to a sequel too. You're, you're either repeating it or you're doing something so different that why did you do it in the first place? So drive is a great example. Films like drive are a great example because it is so clearly a Michael Mann film that drive could easily fit in the Miami vice universe. You could say Crockett and Tubbs are in the diner next door to any scene that's taking place in drive. Absolutely. It carries over. It doesn't need to be called Miami vice because it's drive. It's its own story. It's own characters. It has its own theme and it carries it over. John Carpenter's the thing in the 1980s is another great example, not because it's a remake of the thing, but it, because it's more like what John Carpenter was in love with. A lot of his movies are Westerns escape from New York. The thing, they all have this isolationist feel, the fort that is being invaded by the alien, you know, the Indians outside. And he wanted to make a Lovecraft film. Yeah, well, there's touches of other things in there. And my point just is that if you want to continue something from the past, you find a new way to do it. Guys like John Landis, Joe Dante, yeah, John Carpenter, all these guys, if you listen to interviews, they all talk about the the movies they grew up with, the monster movies. They talk about famous monsters of filmland. 
the magazine. Those things were inspirations to them, but none of them did copies of Famous it. Monsters of Filmland, the movie. They they didn't literally remake The Wolfman. They didn't literally remake the old The Thing. They put their own spin, their own love. And again, there's the approach. It's them telling a story. It's got a huge chunk of them buried right there in the center. And that's the difference. That will always be the difference, and it should always be the difference. And if you're going to do the remake, then doggone it, you're going to have to cater to the nostalgia. Gem and the Holograms might be a weird example, but it's true. What was that? That there's an example of a movie. Who who were they aiming that movie at? If you were going to make Gem and the Holograms, it should have been set in the 80s. It should have had glitter hair and cheesy pop songs. And it didn't. It didn't have any of that. And nobody went to see it because it was for nobody. I'm not saying it should exist. I'm just saying that there's a great example of a movie that was for nobody. Who is this for? Mm -hmm. So you either appeal to the old, like you said, or you do for the new and you'll fail. You're just doomed. So do the approach. Do like, you know, the ones who've done it right have done it. Why is this 80s pop culture nostalgia exploitation so rampant today? People are still eating it up. And, and you're, you're even seeing it in weird places like the final season of Ash vs. Evil Dead all took place in the 80s because that's the thing you do now. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to what I said before. I think it's crass. I think it's hollow. I think it's very exploitative. And I... I don't like it. And every time I see some, my girlfriend and I are going through she'll Hulu or some, or Amazon or something, and she'll she, she'll like see one of the posters or the images there. And if it's got a very '80s look to it, and I've never heard of it before, I get this pit in my stomach going, "Oh God!" It's gotten to that point where, "Oh God!" '80s nostalgia is starting to really piss me off. I didn't used to be like that about 80s nostalgia. When this whole thing started 10 years ago, I'm really digging this. Like Stranger Things, the first season, I was like, I'm really digging the 80s feel. By the third season, I'm going, oh, God, they're still doing this 80s feel thing. Is that a problem with me? Or is that a problem with the hollow plastic artificiality of this whole nostalgia wave? I think it's a problem with you and the problem with it being hollow. Like, I do think you're being maybe a little too negative about it because there are very good examples of it. I mean, we we both very much enjoyed VFW. We both really liked Mandy, and those were both very 80s-centric. I think the problem that happens with anything that gets popular is it becomes oversaturated, and you and you wear on it, and it becomes a little too much. Thankfully... We won't have to deal with the oversaturation too much because now pop culture is moving more into 90s exploitation. Like now the 90s are becoming the next uh, nostalgia fuel thing. Well, I'm actually going to agree with that. Uh, I think he said it very well. And just add that, you know, we talked about the artificiality of it and how, yeah, they they focus on the synth pop and the the, the day glow nature of everything. But if you look, uh, there's a band out there called Crazy Licks that I've been a fan of. And they're a European band, rock band that kind of emulates the styles of the heavy metal of the 1980s. They did the soundtrack for that Friday the 13th video game. They're actually very good, and they have got a great sound. And when you listen to them, you'd swear they were an American band from the 1980s. 
unfortunately, they really haven't found that success despite doing what they do. And I think that, again, it comes back to hard work is hard, y'all. It's hard to do, like, if you're going to do something in the 80s, you can reference Huey Lewis, the News, Billy Joel, and any number of people, Michael Jackson to Prince to anybody from that era. But good luck trying to write new songs that are like that era, but are new songs that are creative, that have that feel. Why? Because it's hard work, y'all. That actually takes talent. That takes effort. I'm not trying to put down synth pop, but it's a lot easier to sit down with a synthesizer and go than to try to recreate something that came from that period we love. The actual magic of it, which is the why actual it's actual like, magic. Well, yeah, it's like you look at a band like Steel Panther, and I always make kind of the joke of like, oh, they're like a mild version of Early Wasp. Yeah, <laughs> because, it, because it takes work it takes effort they don't want that they want easy money they want the quick dollar it's a cycle to answer your question we're in yeah. a cycle that's it i don't think the the answer is overly complicated there is good and there is bad and it's based on who's behind it that's the determining factor who's behind right. it and why are they doing it and i think that's going to continue into the 90s exploitation and the 2000s exploitation and so yeah, on pretty and so soon on we're so gonna on. we're gonna start seeing some real annoying 90s exploitation stuff and references to fresh prince of bel-air and like uh house music and all this stuff you're gonna start seeing all these house music exploitation bands and it, it's just going to keep going. It's it's cyclical. This is just what happens. It You're going to eventually have that singer that dresses like Harry Potter but sings Lady Gaga. It's oh, all Jesus. And I just think this whole 80s thing, I'm not trying to say if you didn't grow up in the 80s, you can't make an 80s movie, an 80s TV show, an 80s no, you, no. you You can like what you like. I'm seeing so much of it that feels plastic and manufactured. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you do see, the, 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 there's that pop singer, Bonnie McKee. She made that song bombastic, and the video is all 80s, and it's got tape hits on it. I looked up her age. She was She barely existed in the 80s. <laughs> but, but but there's nothing wrong. You know, she likes that. And it was a very enthusiastic song. And all of her songs off that one EP, the videos, she's got one of the videos where she is, it's in a Barbarella style. Another yeah. where it's in a Death Wish style. She seems to have genuine nostalgia for a she time really she cares. didn't exist in. And I don't she have an issue with that. She gives a shit, clearly. Yeah. Uh, unlike, uh, unlike someone like Taylor Swift who puts out that album, what was it like she called it, 1984 or something like that? And her music is not 80s at all. It's completely contemporary. I'm not saying that every piece of this this 80s nostalgia exploitation thing is as manufactured and mainstream as as it is. I'm saying stop with the whole Goldbergs, you know, let's reference everything and look, the 80s. I'm so because you, you, you get that now sitcoms are especially having flashbacks to the, you know, the characters in the 80s and the whole thing is look, the 80s and that is what I'm done with. Knock it yeah. off. Like American Horror Story 84, one of the most insulting things I've ever seen. And that show is terrible to begin with. Every season. What? Oh my god, look at the hair. Oh my god, look at the bands he listened to. Oh my god, look at the how tiny the TV was. Oh my god, look at look at the resolution on the VHS tape. That that's yeah. the point. Not that it is set in the 80s, that it's all look 
eighties. <laughs> and I don't disagree. And I don't disagree. And and on a side note, be on the lookout for my new album, Fetus of the Eighties, coming uh, to an Apple Store near you. I'm aborting that right now. So on that note. <laughs> If you guys want to find us, not in the 80s, but reminiscing about the 80s, where would we find the Peter? Uh, you can find me just absolutely loving the 80s, uh, even though I did not live them, but was born in them and lived the early 90s. So I got the uh, I, I got the bleed over. I, I got to enjoy the bleed over it uh, of it. Find me doing that on the Twitoris at Cinematica on YouTube, The Cinemasochist, Facebook, The Cinemasochist, of course, 1201beyond.com with other fine programming, and on Patreon at Cinematica. And Fred, I know he doesn't have internet presence these days, but if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, can they? Well, you can find me in the Mall of America at the Camelot Music Store, uh, drinking a slurp. You Sam Goody traitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let him burn. No, I, I literally have no presence at the time. And if it happens or if that changes, uh, I'll come on the show and let you all know. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And yeah, I did love the 80s. That's when I was, that's the only decade where I was a child the entire time because I was born in the 70s. But. I didn't turn into an adult until right when the 90s flipped over. So maybe that's why I love the 80s so much, because I was a child the entire time. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.